Maybe they're writing songs and they want to produce a live album, right? but they have no idea how to do it. You know, how do you record a live album? You know, what's the process of it? You know, do I need a million dollars and a studio in LA to make it happen? Maybe two million. Maybe two. Welcome, community, one and all, to another podcast episode. I believe this is number 12. Uh, welcome. This is Jansen and... And this is Robert. And hope you guys are doing well, having a great week. Um, today we have an awesome, awesome episode for you guys. And if you are anything like me, you are always wondering, like, how do these churches that do live recordings get the sound right like if you've heard right. a bethel album or elevation or something you hear like people cheering in the background you hear like you know how do they get that crystal clear sound with all those people singing and screaming but then they have like crystal clear music and like how does all this work right. and how do you even start doing an album how do you mix totally. it how do you produce it whenever i listen to like this kind of stuff i'm just kind of like yeah totally sounds like a live concert like right I, it's totally fooling me but yes. there's actually actual things that totally you actually just don't know big things that's being yeah that's being like processed behind the scenes and <laughs> well today we're going to show you the right secret sauce to the, all this stuff so we interviewed uh phil shaw and phil shaw is an amazing musician amazing drummer and an amazing um kind of like engineer basically as a producer yeah, and totally. he's worked on a lot of good projects and helps churches uh kind of do this thing like it's a new thing right like churches are coming out with xyz music or xyz worship and they're doing their church's albums and he helps them kind of get their sound and you'll be surprised to see what those things actually are and like how oh i never realized that they of course but then you hear it you're like oh that makes sense right so uh, without further ado let's jump right into this episode with phil shaw So Phil Shaw is an incredibly talented worship songwriter, guitar player, singer, drummer, and producer, which is why I really wanted him to be on this podcast, because I've done some projects with him. He's done, he's recorded a few of my live worship albums, Um, but he's also worked with Willow Creek Music. He's worked with Central Live, recording their live worship albums, along with a whole handful of, (laughs) dozen of other worship albums. And so I thought it'd be cool to just talk about what does it take? What does the process even look like to record a live worship album? We go back back to when I was on staff at Willow Creek. Yeah. Right? That's when we met. Yeah. And you used to run all your loops. That was like the beginning, you was, know? You very, would run all your loops with your feet and everyone thought you were weird, <laughs> including me, but, right. you know? I know the sound guys were like, this is so great. Like, he needs what? How many lines does he need? Yeah. But so many chords. That was the beginning of Loop Community, I feel like. And, yeah, uh, it was. but that's when we met. I was leading worship at Willow, and you were playing drums, or you were also producing music. And yeah, and uh, did we live together at one point? You know, that's an interesting question because I think you would remember that. 
<laughs> but um, right. no, we never lived together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we never lived together, but I did live with a guy named Nate Yasino, who was another yes. producer at Willow. And you and Nate were friends because you guys would work on music together. That's right. Yeah. So I used to drum on those records yeah. that you guys would make. and Yeah, we were hanging out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You drummed on my first record ever. Yeah. So, all right. I'm glad we figured this out of how, how we even know each other. Nice yeah. to meet you, Phil. Yeah. Good to meet you, too, again. <laughs> um, but Phil is a, just an amazing, like, really, really uh, talented musician. Amazing drummer. Um, amazing producer. Amazing songwriter. Singer. Gosh, you, like, do it. Seriously, you do everything. Oh, dude. But, uh, so what do you do currently? Like what's, uh, what's your kind of role look like? Yeah. So I guess I, I do a couple different things. I'm doing, um, a lot of mixing right now. That's kind of what I'm really loving. So I'm doing some archive mixing for a couple churches. Um, what does that mean? What's archive? Mixing? Yeah. So like what, whenever, um, so for instance, uh, central Christian church in Vegas, they, they stream their Saturday night service on Sunday. So I remix that for them on Saturday night. Um, make it sound nice and pretty right so it's not the board mix it's like yeah no it's like a pro tools mix um i have a template that i tweak every week trying to make better and we're just working toward making it great so do the churches record their like with a digital board they're recording stems yeah they're recording i think they send me 55 to 60 files every week wow and i go and throw them in my template and yep away i go wow that's really that's Definitely would sound better than a board mix. It's tedious, but it's, you know, right. I just love, I love pursuing that great sound. And, you know, it's been my passion since I was a little kid. So I'm just doing that. And I do that for Willow Creek too, but that's more on Sundays. Um, And then do you still play drums too? Yeah. So when I play drums, it's usually a crazy weekend because it's at church all day and then mixing and then at church again, mixing. Right. But it's fun. It's a great time. So you play on the weekends. I think you like tour still too, right? Play. Not so much anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, occasionally I'll do like a fly date with um, some friends of mine yeah. that I play with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty chill right now. Mostly right. mixing and, and then um, getting to do live records as well. So um, I've done live records with you, obviously, right. and, and some other friends. And then I just finished a record for Central Christian called Greater. And that's just, that just came out too. So been doing a lot of those recordings as well, taking those guys um, or taking songs from start to finish really. Yeah. Um, well, it depends on the project, but a lot of them right. are from scratch too. So Yeah. And that, that is awesome. I mean, you're so talented at doing that. And I've witnessed it firsthand because I've had you produce a few records for me. I think I've had you mix a few. I've had you, <laughs> I've had you do a couple different things. I've had you play drums on a few. I've had you mix a few. I've had you produce albums completely from scratch. Um, also track live albums. And so that's what I thought it would be cool to have you on this podcast because I think there's a lot of Loop community listeners to this podcast who are, you know, worship leaders at churches and they're at churches where maybe they're writing songs and they want to produce a live album, right? but they have no idea how to do it. And like where, like, cause it can seem really daunting. Like totally, you know, do I need a million dollars and a studio in LA to make it happen? Maybe 2 million, maybe two, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I think churches, yeah, just don't know, like, what does it even take to do it? Absolutely. And I thought, man, we got to get on this podcast and just talk about, you know, how do you record a live album? You know, what's the process of it? And so Maybe what we do is like, because I want to hear your thoughts, because I know that, you know, as technology has changed, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, as things have changed, I'm sure that different processes and different methods have come up. Right. And as you've done more and more of them, I bet you've changed how totally. you do them. Uh, but I thought it'd be cool to like maybe even talk about a live record we did together. That's great. Yeah, I think that'd be a good example of, of the process. Right. And we'll just walk through from start to finish. So, you know, I think the way it started was I wanted to do a live album um, with Campus Crusade, which is mm-hmm. a, a ministry. And they have like a big conference every year. And we wanted to do a live album at this conference. And so, and that happened in December. So around September of that year, I started writing songs for that album, um, worship songs that I thought we would play at the conference and that we'd record. And then I came to you, right? Yep. And what did we do? <laughs> well, I think the first thing is, I mean, we're getting into the the realm of what a producer does, you know? Yeah. And I think that's um, one of the things we talked about initially was um, you giving me some level of authority to speak into the songs and speak yeah. into... Um, arrangements and all this stuff and that that's really like the job of a producer is like how do you how do you work with this song to make it translate to the audience that you're looking uh, um, to reach so I think that was the the first process is you know um, and maybe something to think about if if you're a church looking to do this is like who's who's going to be the person that you that you're trusting to work with these songs, you know what I mean? Um, and, and someone that gets the studio as well, as well as, you know, what a live worship environment is. So I think it's important to have someone who has that vision. Um, and I think that's what we did. We sat in my room and, you know, my studio room and just like, here we go. Like, what are the songs? Hey, like change that lyric. Let's shorten this. Hey, let's tweak the bridge a little bit here. Um, you know, and we did that for each of the songs. And then right. I think we just did scratch track and pro tools, maybe just vocals and guitar. You know, so I, I think that's a good point. What you said about, I think maybe the very, very first step is to find somebody to help you. Right. That you're not, you know, Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't just do it on my own. Right. Um, but I needed to find someone that I trusted, someone that I knew had a good ear, someone that I knew was talented. That was a songwriter. Um, and I think that is important because you're entrusting them with your... Yeah, and, and this is, I think this is what's cool about different people. You know, we have different gifts and, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of worship leaders that what what they do is is incredible and their, yeah. their ability to read a room and be able to, to like respond to the spirit and be able to like go with it. It's, it's incredible. Like there's some guys that I play with that just blow my mind of how gifted they are in that way. And then, you know, my gift has always been like, like, I just want to make a record sound so good. Or like, there's yep. certain things about the way a song flows that just, I love, you know, and I want to help get songs to that, right? you know, that level. Right. So definitely get someone to help you, you know, get someone that you trust. Um, even in songwriting, man, I think that's so big. Like, write with your friends, write with the people you you talk about God with, you know, right, right with the people that you're, you know, thinking about life with. Yeah. I think that's so important. And then, right. and yeah, with producing, I think it's important to have someone that can really help oversee this process from start to finish. I think it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So first step, you know, I wrote some songs, brought these, you know, rough song ideas to you. I remember, I think I had like maybe 15 or 20 songs. Because we were thinking about doing a five-song EP. And I think I had yeah. 15 or 20 songs that I brought to you. 
and we hung out in your basement. I played all these songs for you, and you kind of actually were like, you gently, you know, were like, eh, let me let me hear the next one. Let me hear the next one. And then you would kind of just be like, hey, let's let's keep working on that one. Let's keep working on this one. Right. And I think that's probably the next process, right? It's the songwriting, editing. Yeah. Rewriting. Totally. Yeah. It's um, how can we make this as best as we can? Right. You know? And again, I I think the key word here is trust. I mean, that's a lot to trust someone with. And so, you know, get to know people, get to know the person you're working with as your producer. I mean, we, we had a lot of history behind that. And so it's easier to go right into, hey, let me hear that song let's oh that chorus is really good i wish i had better verses or yeah. whatever it might be um but yeah there's a lot of trust that goes into that and we yeah i think we did that over the course of maybe a couple of days is like worked right. out here are the songs we're gonna pick and now let's tweak them yeah. to where they can be as best as they possibly can i remember with some of them you even took we took a bridge from maybe another song and made it the chorus of one of the songs we were working on and mixed and matched and made just made the songs the best they could be. Totally. Yeah. So after the songwriting process, you know, if a church has, you know, they, they get their songs together, you know, they've rewritten them, they have them down to like how they want to do them. Right. What's the next step in the process? I think the the next thing to think about is how, how are these songs going to translate to the room? Um, how are these songs going to sound sonically? what what instrumentation are we going to use i mean the first record we did together was more you know it was more guitar drums vocals stuff like that and then we did a record more recently that was almost all synth driven you know so so song arrangements yeah arrangements and so you can go about it in a lot of different ways i think um in in our case um you that's this was something you trusted me with and Mm -hmm. i have a i have a team of people i usually work with that are great at what they do and so um we took our scratch tracks that we made after the song writing uh tweaks and, and what we, were those that was just me sitting down with a guitar yeah just and playing through the song click vocals guitar all recorded separate is that when you choose how many courses you're doing or is that does that come later yeah usually i mean i'd like to figure that out before we record the scratch track now let's if we record it and it's too long yeah and we listen back and we're like okay that was a bad decision yeah. we can that can happen throughout the process you know um so a scratch check is what yeah so that's just a demo vocal a demo guitar or a piano or a synth or whatever like you want to sing over just with, like recorded yeah. with your iphone or the way i like to do it is in pro tools or ableton something that you could be on the on the click okay. you know so that way that can transfer over to the second process of arranging. So if you have a producer that is really good at synth work, you could give them a scratch vocal, their demo vocal with a click, and they can go make a whole whole entire arrangement based right. on that. Um, and so it depends on what you want to do. If you're um, if you have the the time to bring your group of volunteers and musicians at the church together to be able to jam and start making arrangements. That's great. A lot of people don't have that type of uh, time on their hands. Uh, At least for our project, you gave that arrangement, arrangement stuff over to me and my team. And we kind of made demos and made, um, yeah, made decisions about what is this going to sound like? How can we make this really cool sounding? So then we did that process. Right. And that would be the pre-production process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where you go. 
before you even think about performing this live, like we got to have a cool arrangement. We yeah. got to support these lyrics and, yeah. and this message is as best as we can yeah, with because, music. Right. Because there is a difference between like, if I wrote a song and then I sit on a couch here and just play it for you, my arrangement that I play for you might be like six minutes long. <laughs> totally. And I think the really important thing of this pre-production process is figuring out, okay, how do we take this six minute long song do we want it to be six minutes? We want it to be 12 minutes. Or we want it to be 12 minutes or yeah, <laughs> or two minutes. You know what I mean? Like, and that's where you kind of figure out, okay, we're going to do, you know, two, you know, four bars of the intro and then into a verse and then two choruses and, right. and really actually nail down the exact arrangement. Totally. And then yeah. we recorded those, the scratch tracks. So then what happens next? So we have scratch tracks. We have, you know, we recorded to a click, my acoustic and vocal. And then what happens? Right. So there we... Um, you handed over again, a lot of trust in this situation, but you handed over these songs to me to create a, a sound around them. Right. So having vision, this is also part of the conversation, um, early on, I think for the last record we did was, Hey, we really want some like synth heavy stuff in this record. Yeah. So we had that vision going in. So that actually informed the way we tweaked the songs a little bit. You know, do we have a chorus that is more of just singing or do we have a chorus that's a drop musical drop, right. you know? Um, so yeah, a lot of that, the scratch track gives us a chance to really start building yeah. the sound and, and what this is going to look like. And and for me, I think I handed off a lot of this stuff to my little brother cause he's incredible EDM producer yeah and it's like hey these are the arrangements we're happy with them you know what can you do to like take these up a take these up a notch and start adding some layers and right because we knew we wanted like an electronic feel yeah so like a good example and we could probably maybe play a clip um of like maybe the before and after of the scratch track of alive and free because the alive and free scratch track i remember was just acoustic guitar and me singing and at that point it was up to you (laughs) and your brother i mean but i gave you guys so much much pressure on me man why'd you do that (laughs) i'm sorry it's all right i'm a tough client yeah it's Uh, all right it was up to you guys to really come up with like a creative like how how's this thing gonna sound and i told you i want it to be electronic and then you know the alive and free you know version ended up becoming super electronic right all right so hey let's just check out what alive and free sounded like just as the scratch track Alright, now here's Alive and Free after Phil produced it. Okay, so pre-production is for figuring out the arrangement, figuring out what the song is going to actually even sound like, like what the guitar parts are, 
explain that process a little bit, like coming up with drum parts or. Well, yeah, especially if we're going for a live recording situation, it's a little different because if we're just making a record, I mean, we could go right into recording, you know, and we just track all the parts and we mix it and we're done, you know. Um, But for for the vision of now we're going to like record, re-record this in a live situation. It's a little different. So yeah, there's um, I would consider that pre-production for at least making a live record is um, let's write really good parts. Let's, let's be intentional about, we've been intentional about lyrics. We've been intentional about arrangement. Now let's be intentional about the music and how everything supports this message, this lyric. So that's, that's the next section. Um, And a lot of, I think, I think a lot of those recordings, like they could have been mixed and re- released at that point. Um, that's the way I like to work. Uh, you know, right. I don't want to, I don't want to leave a whole lot up to that night and a whole lot of pressure for everyone to like play it perfectly and all yeah. this stuff. I'd like to have a lot of this stuff recorded and really thought through before we ever step on stage and try to perform it. Wait, but are you are you telling me that a live record is not actually live? It was all recorded months before. Oh, you never know. It depends. <laughs> there there are some churches that are doing fully live records and it's incredible, but I, I don't think that's something that everyone can pull off. I, I think that should be a goal that we're looking to achieve. Yeah. Um, but like a lot of like even the synth stuff that we're doing, at least on your record, like, yeah, I, I don't even know if it'd be possible to play that live, you know? <laughs> so yeah. some of it's like, you know, kind of what we do with what you do with loop community, you know, right. what tracks are we going to play? Right. That's the kind of stuff you, you record beforehand. Yeah. Also, if like a lot of us as people who play in church, we get a chance to listen to ourselves back maybe during the week. And sometimes you're like, wow, did I really sound like that? Or like a live vocal mic, right. just bear right can be a little rough sometimes right you know so you might need to re-record those yeah so once we've done pre-production you know you've taken the scratch vocal scratch guitar and actually put instruments around it Mm. and different guitar parts and drum parts and maybe written synth parts what happens at that point once pre-production's over well i think this is where you need to look at your specific church and and the way it's set up with music so who's going to be playing on this record who's going to be performing that night you know um so what i would love to do in that situation is i'd have my the producer whoever's you know working on these songs and pro tools or ableton or whatever your platform is you bounce out like player parts like you bounce out every part that these players need to learn Mm. and you give them time to get familiar with these parts and learn them well and and show up prepared so that when you when you actually you now you've decided who's playing you have the night picked or whatever and then now everyone's ready they know their parts yeah get together play these songs together you know yeah i I remember you sent me after you did pre-pro for my album you sent me all the finished you know demos or whatever you want to call them and you said, okay, have your band learn these exactly <laughs> like this. Yeah. So that when you're playing it live, it's going to be just like this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, if, if I've been trusted to create parts for like, yeah. if I've been trusted to create a drum part. Yeah. Um, or if I've been trusted to make a guitar part, like these are, these are the parts that yeah. 
have been worked on very intentionally to support a song. Right. So yeah, I think the best way to go about that would be, all right, here's the part and you're going to be able to hear it very clearly. It's really loud over the mix. Yeah. You can hear your delays. You can hear, you know, what drum tones you need to be going for. So when a church is choosing the players of who's actually going to play on this live recording, how do you even make that decision? How do you even start, (laughs) begin to even make those decisions of like, do you hire musicians? Do you use all volunteers, you know, the guys from your church? Um, you know, because I feel like that is, a, that is a tension. You know, you want the album to sound like your church, but you also, <laughs> it needs to sound quality, or at least you want it to. Right. And right. maybe some volunteers can pull it off and some can't. Are there maybe specific positions in the band that you would definitely encourage to have a professional musician? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think for the amount of live records I've recorded up to this point, the pressure is always on the drummer. Because, you know, their instrument is so loud (laughs) that it's going to bleed into the audience mics the most out of anything. Yeah. So it's important to have a drummer that can do a studio take on stage and like really lay a foundation. So, I, yeah, I I do think that's kind of irreplaceable Mm -hmm. in in this process, in my opinion. Get Um, a drummer that knows a studio performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Someone who's very intentional about what they're going to play. Yeah. They've, they're bought into these arrangements. They're bought into the vision and they're just going to, they're going to do their part. Right. And And a church may have a volunteer that can do that. Absolutely. There's a lot of great drummers in churches, but also this is a great opportunity for your volunteers to even see someone come in Mm -hmm. and get to watch someone play this way. That intentional. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's for, for anyone, you know, if there's a guitar player that you're going to hire out or a right. keyboard player, you do need to have some of that intentionality and that excellence on yep. stage. Hey, music creators and producers, do you have any experience creating tracks for worship? Here at loopcommunity.com, you can upload and sell the tracks you make to earn some extra cash. Recently, a contributor told us that the extra money he made from selling tracks on Loop Community helped him pay off all of his student loans. If you're new to creating your own tracks, we have many resources on our site to help you learn how to make music. To get started, click the Upload button at the top of our website. You'll need to fill out a simple application, and once you're approved, you can start selling your tracks to the entire worship community. If you don't make tracks, know that the purchases you make on Loop Community are supporting a local worship leader. The community is grateful for you. That's a situation where you just really have to be honest with yourself and honest with your team of like, listen, if you're going to do this, you've got to have, whether it's a volunteer or a studio musician playing drums, they have to be able to do a solid take and nail the parts. And that's an important piece. So, Okay, so the band now has all their parts. You know, I distributed everything to, you know, hey, my bass player here, here's your parts, l- learn this. This is what we're going to record exactly, you know, in a month. <laughs> yeah. What's the next step? Um, <clears throat> Probably the recording, right? Or For sure. So the way I like to think about the night is we're trying to capture drums and we're trying to capture audience as best as possible. Um, so we need to be thinking in terms of, you know, how is the sa- the stage sound? Are the amps on the stage blaring at the audience? Uh, you know, is um, do the drums have a shield on them? All this stuff, we have to think about it because it's really going to show up later. In so, the crowd mics. Oh, yeah. Well, 
you know, if if you want to keep some of the live vocal, you need that vocal to be as isolated as possible from the drum set. Um, If you're going to be redoing most of the vocals, you can get away with a little bit more Mm -hmm. noise. But I think in general, if, if your stage is not that big, you really need to work on making it dead and trying to make sure that it's, you know, that it's going to sound good right. with recording. So, yeah. And then I think with, we're trying to capture the, a live worship experience. So, right. you know, the whole thing of that is people worshiping God. We need to capture this audience as best as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I like to have a couple set of shotgun mics really like capturing the audience. Those are those like very directional microphones that you right. can point at sections and yep. you can capture vo- like voices. It's really cool. And then you have a couple of room mics. Um, so I'll do like two sets of just room mics and then I'll throw a couple more mics uh, at front of house. And there's like a really cool sound that you get from actually behind people with cheering or whatever. So having all of those microphones together being your room mics, like you're capturing the room. Yep. Um, that's so important, especially when it comes down to mixing later. And what are you recording into? Are you recording into the soundboard or are you running into Pro Tools? or? Yeah, so what's so cool about the digital consoles now, and a lot of churches have them and they're pretty affordable, but you can do like pretty great multi-tracking from these digital desks right into a DAW like Ableton or Pro Tools or whatever. So I think the last few albums I've done, it's just, it's just what's recorded from the board. Um, and then we'll go and... You know, if some things need to be replaced, we'll do that. Yep. But yeah, right from the board, all these mics yep. flooding into right. that console and we're capturing it. Would you recommend at all before the actual, maybe the day of, you know, let's just say that the live recording is at 7 p.m. that night. Would you recommend maybe the band doing a dry run through record like at, you know, 2 p.m.? Oh man, yeah. I I think as much rehearsing as possible. So I think the last live record I did, they did two full dress rehearsals. They were also doing video, so they had that opportunity to capture video shots. shots. Yeah, and that was great. I don't think we used any of the audio from either of those. Okay. Um, Mostly because I wanted to capture the actual thing that happened. So yeah, in that situation though, let's say you're recording and the first song everyone was really nervous and you just blew it you know you and can, you have something at least well you have that and then also like at least the li- last live record i did it's like hey do you guys mind if we hit the first two songs again right and it's like it's great you yeah. know it's cool for it's cool for people to feel like they're part of this yeah. recording process too oh man i feel like i have so many like funny memories from doing live records i've done like three or four of them now and so a couple things came to my mind right when you said that yeah uh, one, I do remember times where, yeah, like we actually were recording, you know, the, the, the crowd was there. We're actually recording and yeah, the first song we just messed up or we just weren't in our groove. It just didn't feel right. And at the very end, I did exactly what you just said, where I'm like, Hey, we're going to play, you know, the first song again, or I may not have even just said it. I may have just did it. <laughs> and people, you know, people are probably like, wait, didn't we hear this song already? But I don't know. People don't care though. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to invite your congregation into this experience of recording. So, Hey, this is going to be a little bit different of a night. We're going to, we're going to worship. We're going to 
try to capture this recording as best as we can. And if we need to go back and hit a song or maybe hit a couple songs, like, would you guys be willing to do that with us? And for the most part, I've, I've seen that people really love being involved with it. Yeah. Um, even capturing, even before the night, even capturing like different volumes of claps. I've done that every time. Cause it's really nice to be able to smooth things out later if, yep. if it's not all perfectly time aligned or whatever. I remember too, just like before recording, just being like, Hey, you know, we're recording this to so sing really loud, but to sing loud, we're going to teach you the chorus. And you just sing Absolutely. the chorus on an acoustic guitar. Absolutely. But one funny story that I do remember, especially from alive and free. And this is really interesting because I think one of the, I don't know, I'd be curious to hear from you on this one, but I know that probably one of the bigger issues is, just nerves everyone in the band is nervous about (laughs) we're recording we better nail this like perfectly you know i mean like we have one take to do this and i remember past live albums i've done i've been nervous beforehand and it affects everything it totally does when you just start psyching yourself out but this last alive and free album i don't think i've told you this story but i love your stories we were it was like maybe 10 minutes before we were supposed to go up on stage to start the live and free recording and i got a text message from someone saying your car in the garage is getting a ticket you need to get down here and like deal with this and so i looked at the countdown timer and i saw there's like 10 minutes left and so i ran down into the garage and i'm like talking to this like you know police officer ticket person trying to get him to get the ticket off my car and i'm repaying for parking and oh my gosh. i get all this figured out and i run back upstairs and honestly by then like you know the, i get back upstairs and the countdown clocks at like a minute and i'm like throwing on my in-ear pack and i just run right up up on stage and i honestly forgot that we were even recording until like the third or fourth song in and that was actually really freeing though for me because i felt like it just felt more natural. <laughs> it felt more like I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about recording totally because I kind of forgot about it. So yeah, maybe that's a part of the process is like, you know, park somewhere where you shouldn't like yeah. an hour before you record and hope that you'll get so distracted by getting a ticket that you're ready to play. Yeah. That it feels natural. Hire someone to like go put, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Band members car. That's your, the bass player's job is to <laughs> do that for the worship leader. So they're right. not nervous. Right. So, okay. So then you record, and yep. you've got, you know, the night's over, you've recorded, you know, multi-track stems, you know, pretty dry sounding probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got these files that now you do what? Like, what's the next step? So this is after the recording that yeah. we're saying? So after you finish capturing that night, there's a lot of processes after. <laughs> right. So I think the first thing is editing. So to go in and figure out, okay, what can we keep from this night? You know, what, what vocals um, were solid? What vocals need to be replaced? What guitar parts need to be replaced? Um, just listening through with, you know, this is again where you have, uh, it's really helpful to have a producer um, mm-hmm. that can kind of help you make decisions based on this stuff. And then there's, you know, drum editing. Are you going to put the drums on the, the grid to make it sound really like tight? Or are you going to let it be a little bit more loose and feely, you know? Right. Or put drum, drum samples on. Yeah. I mean, that's more, I would be more mixing, I think later. Um, ideally if there's any drum loops or anything like that, that's, that was done a long time ago when we made these arrangements. Okay. Um, but yeah, for a lot of that stuff is mixing later on. So lots of editing and then it's overdubs. So, Hey, we need to hit that vocal again. We need to work on that guitar part. If the demos were good enough at the beginning, maybe, maybe you can throw some of that stuff back in. 
you know, like, oh, these guitar parts were recorded really well before we even did the record. You can throw those guitar parts right in there. It's awesome. So yeah, that's kind of, that's the next step is editing, making decisions about what needs to be replaced, what needs to be worked on. Um, is this called post-production? I don't know what the name would be. Like, it's definitely just part of this process. I yeah. think it's a lot of, now we're really just trying to get this project ready to be mixed. So yeah, there's a lot of editing that needs to happen. A lot of, a lot of decision-making. Right. And this is where, you know, we re-record vocals. Absolutely. Or, or we've done gang vocals before. Yeah, Explain totally. Explain that process or what even is gang vocals? Yeah. So when you're recording on stage and there's a loud band and, and it's really loud in the room, sometimes it's hard, even with all those great microphones to capture people singing the song. Hopefully they are singing the song. Maybe they just don't like the song. <laughs> no, but right. um, this really helps. Or the microphones didn't work. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, totally. That's actually happened. I've heard stories about that happening where <laughs> the, they were just off. Right, or there's a buzz in it. Or... Right. So this is where I, I think this is one of the most fun processes of a live record, at least in this this style. I think getting your friends together and you know, all getting in a room with a bunch of headphones and just singing through these songs a couple times. Yeah. At this point, you definitely want to have your real vocals done. Right. You know? Um, so whatever overdubs that you needed to make, background vocals, you know, if you're going to redo the lead vocal and the background vocal was singing to your live vocal, they were trying to blend with that, you might have to redo that as well. So there's a lot of tweaking that goes into this stuff. So yeah, that's where your producer will help you make decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then getting together and you're recording yeah. a few passes of this all together as a group, maybe 15, 20 people. Um, Those a are my microphones. favorite. Those so are my fun. favorite memories for sure of any live album I've done. That, or even some studio ones we've done some gang vocals on. But those are my favorite memories where you just order a couple pizzas. Uh, hummus, come in. hummus platter, ideally, yeah. <laughs> for the healthy people. Hummus platter. Maybe like some Pepsi. Celery is really good for vocal cords. Yeah. You just, know what's really good? It's just like Coca-Cola, milk. Milk is really good for vocal cords. <laughs> Ideally, about a gallon per person. So if you're going to do like a 20-person <laughs> gang vocal, like just go to Costco and get yourself a pallet of milk. Yeah, and you'll have amazing, <laughs> amazing gang vocals. Yeah. So, But I mean, those were my favorite memories. You get everybody together, you know, you get to sing the songs through like so five fun. times. And that's where like these crowd vocals like come to life because then you mix those in right with the real crowd absolutely and yeah. it just sounds like you have massive amount of people singing with you right yeah and again this is a balance so right unreal not unrealistic sounding exactly so the you balance know? is like there's limitations based on technology and how we can record you know an actual audience singing so <clears throat> this helps like try to even that out you know so it sounds like, oh, I you do have the possibility as a mixer when it comes to that down chorus or whatever, and there's that screaming loud acoustic guitar, and that's all you hear when you push the audience mics. Now I have another track that I can help support what the audience was doing, you know. So we're not trying to make it sound like you know we if we recorded in a 300 person auditorium, mm -hmm. we're not trying to make it sound like the United Center, right? You know, but. I think that's like, that's the goal is like, we're trying to like help capture what that live night felt like. Yeah. Right. And sometimes like, even in the room, you'd be like, wow, everyone's singing so loud. And then when you listen back, it's like hard because of the way the mics capture it. 
Sometimes it doesn't translate that well. So we're just trying to support that. But again, trying to capture the experience of this night. Um, Worship is meant to be in community, in like people singing their hearts out to God. So it's helping support that as for the listener when they're listening back and going, wow, like I can hear people like praising, you know, and I love that. That's like, that's the goal behind recording some gang vocals or redoing something here. Um, This is not about faking it. This is not about any of that. This is about creating an experience for the listener. Phil, I think as we're talking about this, a story comes to my mind that is very funny. And it is about how sometimes things in the crowd can actually work in your favor. One of my favorite moments on the Alive and Free album is in Sinking Deep. Uh, when the bridge is building and you hear the crowd just like roar, like in cheering. And it just sounds so amazing it for what so it is. so good. But what, yeah, it does. But what people don't realize what was happening in that moment, I hate to say this, but <laughs> what was happening is while we were playing Sinking Deep, a ceiling tile in the middle of the room had started to fall off of the ceiling. And in the middle of the song, while we're recording, and I'm watching this whole thing as we're singing, a guy starts coming in driving like a Zamboni or like, I don't even know what you call it, a lift. Yeah, one of those lift things. Yeah, so the venue people start clearing the crowd out of the way, like, move it, move it, move it. And a guy in a lift starts driving into the middle of the room. And this is while we're singing Sinking Deep, which is a pretty quiet, you know, piano driven song. And this guy on the lift, he goes into the middle of the room. What's funny is that the ceiling tile falling, it wasn't at the back of the room. It wasn't off to the side. It was directly in the middle of the room. So he clears away. The ceiling tile guy on this lift starts raising up to go up pretty high. I mean, the ceiling was massive. It's not like a few thousand feet <laughs> right. up in the air. I don't know, maybe like 50 feet. He's going up in this lift to get the ceiling tile. And he grabs the ceiling tile and puts it in his lift and starts coming down. And at that moment, everybody in the crowd just starts cheering and clapping for this guy. Yeah, and that was right when the band like kicks in right. big, right? <laughs> right. So it sounded awesome, dude. It sounded like everyone was like, it was perfectly you know. timed. But what makes it sound like everybody's cheering, you know, in worship? Actually, they were cheering for this guy getting a ceiling tile <laughs> out of the ceiling, which is so crazy. And I remember the <sighs> ceiling tile guy like bowed. <laughs> While they're cheering, he like bowed, like, thank you very much. Wow. And I was just like, wow. Shaking my head. But let's listen to a clip of that. Yeah, seriously. Drawing close, stirred by grace, and all my heart is yours. All fear removed. I breathe you. Okay, so after you've done, you know, post-production, re-recorded vocals, gang vocals, the final step, right, is mixing and mastering. Yes. What's what's that like? 
Um, <clears throat> so good to separate those in your head too. Mixing is we got to take all hundred files or whatever hundred tracks we have and mix them down to left and right ear stereo mix. This is another place that I would highly suggest finding someone that's really good at this. Right. This is so important to the way it sounds. I cannot stress that enough. Yeah. Right. Um, a mix can make or break a recording. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> so you find someone who's good at mixing. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of guys that do do this type of stuff. So find someone that has mixed a record that you really enjoy. Like if you like some random churches, you know, mixing, right. figure out who mixed that and ask them to do your project or right. whatever. Yeah, I've done that before. Totally. Wait, you didn't ask me to mix it? No, I think Matt. This is before I met you. Oh, okay. But there was an album I really liked by, uh, I think it was a Jeremy Riddle album, actually. One of his first. And I just looked on the back of his CD cover of who mixed it. And then I contacted the guy and said, will you mix my Totally. Album? And he's like, yeah, man. Yeah, man. The, uh, For a yeah. million dollars. It was, <laughs> no. it was only a million dollars. <laughs> right. But no, these people are very, you can contact them and. Totally. They're yeah, great. They're, yeah, they're awesome. <clears throat> now, I would say, like, mixing can get expensive. Right. Um, but it's worth it. What is it on average for like like a good mix for a song? I I would look anywhere in between for an indie artist. I think you can get a really great mix from 300 to $600 per song. Per song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's worth it. It's worth every penny. Uh yeah. It's worth more than that. Like I could probably figure out how to put roof tiles on my house roof, but it definitely won't be a good job. <laughs> yeah. You you pay someone yeah, definitely who knows not. what they're doing, knows yeah. how to do it right. Yeah. I mean, you might be gifted at that, though. Tiling? Ceiling tiles? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe from another life. <laughs> Tilecommunity.com. So, Tilecommunity.com. Tile com- can you just say that into the mic? Tilecommunity.com. I, I like that. <laughs> okay, so then then mastering, though. What, what in the world is mastering? Oh, does anyone even know? Um, so like if I've mixed something, why do I need to master it? Or what does that mean? Go ahead and explain to everybody. So mixing is working with the hundred tracks and making them into two tracks, left ear, right ear. Mastering is working with the final two tracks. So you're talking overall volume of the song. You're talking overall, how bright is this? How much low end does it have overall? Um, how much compression is on this mix? This is another place where if you can afford it, um, which you're probably looking for a good mastering engineer somewhere in the hundred dollar to $150 a song range. Yep. If you can afford it, don't skimp on it. But there are also some like good options for that. So like there's some great plugins. I know slate digital, um, makes a great mastering plugin that I use sometimes if, if I can't afford a mastering engineer, um, there's a company called Lander that does mastering right off the internet. So you can send them your your mix and they'll send you a mastered version back. It's cool. really cool. So it's I've affordable. used, yeah, it's like, I think comes out to like 10 bucks a song or something. Right. So yeah, th- those are your kind of options with mastering, but it's working with the final, yep. the final mix. It's what like puts the final polish on it. Like, cause I've done a mix. I've ha- actually, I've listened to just a mix mm-hmm. where it's mixed. It sounds great. When you're driving around, you're thinking, wow, this actually sounds really good. And then you sent me the mastered version and it's like, you know, 10 times louder. It's brighter. It's cleaner. It just sounds like, and I'm like, whoa, I thought the mix was good. 
Right. But now the master version is way better. Yeah. You have to realize with mastering engineers, you're paying for like some, I call them like magic ear people. Yeah. Like they just hear things that no one else does. Right. And so you're hiring them for that. And, and they're it's great worth, at it. And that's worth the money too. Absolutely. They're listening in a room that's perfect. It sounds perfect. Yeah. And they can hear like, oh, it sounds like the mixing always was lacking this frequency mm-hmm. a little bit. And I'm going to just help that out. It's right. it's a really crazy process. Or I anything love mastering that might be engineers. Hurting people's ears, they can like take that frequency. Totally. Out or... Totally. It's really important. So when that's over, I mean, we've really just, I mean, we're just talking about just the recording because now at this point, you know, churches have to figure out, you know, you got to copyright the songs and get them with CCLI and distribute chord charts and package the, the product. And how do you distribute it? Matt, to, you're stressing me out. That's, Spotify not, that's not my thing. Right. How do you market it? How do you get people totally. to hear it? I mean, that's a whole other thing. And uh, that's probably like two or three podcasts worth. That's a lot of stuff. But what we've talked about here is the, is the, the meat and potatoes of it. Totally. And that's the actual recording and how to do it. Totally. And I think, I mean, I've had you do a couple of my projects and I'm always really, really happy with your work. And so loop community, I think that like, if you guys are thinking about doing an album, uh, definitely it's worth spending the money finding, find someone that you trust, a good producer that can help you with songwriting that would give you honest feedback of your songs of like, Hey, this song needs tweaked this bridge. You need to throw it away. That stuff is so valuable. So find someone you trust. It's worth that. It's worth paying for a mixed engineer, a mastering engineer. Um, Phil, if, if people wanted to get in touch with you to have you help them do a live album, where do they go? Um, you could reach me at philshawl.com. The last name is S C H A W E L. Okay. And my contacts there, my email, um, just shoot me an email. I'd love to talk to you and uh, figure out if I could help in any way or just point you in the right direction. Awesome. Yeah, Phil. Phil's awesome. He's, he's done some amazing projects. He's working with some of the best of the best. And I highly recommend him to you guys. So, Phil, thanks for just sharing a little bit about this. Dude, of course. I my know, pleasure. I feel like we still just scratched the surface of yeah. what it takes to really do a full album. So, Phil, yeah, thanks for joining us. And uh, I'll see you on the other side. Thank you. Hey community, our featured producer for the month of February is Zach Hanna. Zach is from South Carolina where he attends Grace Life Church. Zach is only 18 years old, but he makes some amazing tracks. He actually did a live producer session on our Facebook page. So head over there and watch how Zach makes his tracks. Let's hear from him now. Hey Luke community, my name is Zachary Hanna and I've been an LC producer for a little over a year now. One of the best things about Loot Community is that it provides resources such as tracks and stems and patches for the local church to build up their worship team, no matter how big or small. Even at a young age, I know that it's my calling to be a part of worship ministry, and Loot Community has not only provided a safe place for me to build my craft as a music producer, it's helped me get to where I am today, which is a worship intern at one of the largest churches in the U.S. Thank you again, LC, and God bless. Thanks, Zach. Now let's hear one of the tracks Zach created for the song Overcome by Elevation Worship.
This is Community Talk. OMG, that is like information overload. And I am, <laughs> I'm still like kind of just dazed thinking right. about all the hard work and things that go into. It's like if I were leading uh, a worship team or some church or whatever, and I had to do an album, like that would be so scary. Oh, yeah, totally. Because there is so much that goes into it. And right. I wouldn't, like, now I have a little bit better of an idea of where to start. But had I not listened to this, I mean, I, I would be kind of, like, lost, super lost. Right. And I have a greater respect for those guys that do, like, churches that do what they do to, right. to get this accomplished. Right? I totally understand that. Even from my perspective, being in the band, I, I know that pressure. Yeah. But the people have to understand, like, we're not doing this to, like, be pressured. We're doing this for God. Right. Like, we're, we're serving for him. We're doing this only him and him alone. Yeah. And once people understand that, it's just kind of like, ah, it takes the breath away. I know. I thought it was yeah. cool. Like, you know, obviously, Matt McCoy, he's our CEO here. Great right. guy. Right. Um, maybe you've heard of him. I don't know. Just <laughs> no, he uh, he's done a lot of like singles and EPs and stuff in the past. Right. And progressively, I think they've gotten like just more modern and they've, but they've always been like very their own thing. Like each right. album that he does has its own flair. And this latest one, I think it was Alive and Free, has like a very, I don't want to say EDM, but it's like a very synth driven. Right. So when he was talking about like his uh, Phil's brother, like bringing a different element to the table right. of EDM, um, you know, I'll admit when I was listening to like his album, uh, Matt's album, and listening to all the EDM stuff, I'm just like, man, this is like, I know, this is like so in. This it is, is really like good. A trend. Oh, and, dude, it's you know, so good. It's right. just it's, just the right touch, not too much, right? But it's just like it really helps. And what did you think about the uh, when you heard like the acoustic, like rough of oh, the song, dude. and then the finished? I was so shocked. I know. Um, there's just so much happening. There's so much fills that. You know, like whenever we record stuff, you don't usually like do a synth that's just so much like into one track. You usually do like 20 tracks of right. just like little things. It's like all layered in. And like just doing those little things can make a huge impact in your overall sound as a band. Right. When I listened to Matt just kind of play and they were singing just the acoustic of the song, I started to even get my own like little creative inflection of what I heard. Right. But then when you listen to like what he did with it it's just like whoa like i never heard some of those things the pauses there's like the risers and like the drops and stuff that he did with the synths and things it's really cool phil's a genius man yeah it's pretty awesome so not only is he like an awesome producer and like an engineer but he also like plays drums really well so he he does a lot of stuff to help the mix and the uh just the band over at willow creek community church here in barrington illinois And I, I've heard him play drums, and it's amazing. Uh, like awesome. he's he's very like he's just musical. Like he knows the right touch, the right, right tone, right. and that's very hard to get in a drummer. He was explaining like these little articulations. It does really matter in terms of like feeling lively, or right. you don't want it to sound so robotic, you know. Totally. And usually, whenever when we record live, it's easier to kind of like be a little bit laid back, yeah. meaning like. It's it's easier to be actually a little bit behind in playing your notes rather than being ahead in yeah. terms of like uh, in the long run of mixing. So. Right. So so you have experience with this, but kind of like kind of share your insight mixed in with what Phil said. Like, do you agree about like starting off with the church? Right. So let's say there's a church out there and they're like, okay, we want to do a live album. 
Uh, where do we start? The first thing he said was like, you need to find a producer that you trust. Right. Like it can't just be anybody. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like I do garage band in my home. Like you can't <laughs> like, you can't just have somebody right. that has had a couple tracks. Like you need to be able to trust. And the big thing about this producer thing too, is when I think of a producer, I think I'm going to take care of everything as an artist. I want to give you all my things. And then I want you to like, give me the finished product. I don't oh. ever think of a producer like contributing to the product. Right. Right. So it always kind of been like the behind scenes people. Yeah. It's not like, Oh, producer. Of right. The album. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. It's not like they're you're, rock stars. Yeah. Like you're the guy behind the board or right. behind the booth. Right. Like I'm the artist here, you right. know, whatever. But like, it's I, hard because like you always think like, man, like producers, especially like Phil and like, you know, I met other producers. They're so like, they're very humble people mm -hmm. and um and they're the ones doing most of the work <laughs> but they do so much work oh, man. even the production people in general um you just like worship leaders out there you gotta you guys gotta give hands down to the people like in the production because totally. they just do they're the first people literally coming into the church and they're the last people to get out of the church you know right so when i was working on um my single here a while back I had some help from outside like producers and said, Hey, can you like, you know, take a listen to this, right. whatever. I don't expect it to be like, whatever, like big or anything. I just want your help. I want your help to give me some creative direction. And they helped me with little things like the electronic elements of the song or the rhythm or the lyrics. And it like, when you start opening yourself up to people that you trust totally. and that you know can do mm -hmm. great things with music and have done good things with music i think that's a great place to start so if you're a church that's wanting to do this i think along with what phil said you need to find someone that you trust not only to be able to make it sound good at the end product but someone that you trust their music creativity to contribute to what you're trying to do right right, right. so the second thing i would say is like um i, I kind of put that like it's it's important to get whatever creative ideas that you have like laid down mm. man i can't i can't tell you i had a pastor friend that always said because you're a musician and a, like a, an artist keep a pad of paper in your back pocket at all times right i mean now we have phones so it doesn't right. matter so you can use like a voice memo on your phone yes i remember whenever i start humming something just something completely random you're like Oh wow! Yeah, this could be something huge. Right, right. So you start humming it into literally. You're, you're yep. on your phone. Yep. You're humming. You're I've like, done it. Mm -hmm, yeah, <laughs> you know, I've done it. I've done that. Been or there, done that. that you know? Totally. Yeah. Or you just like get home and write something, and you have these lyrics on your mind, and you just take a note app out or something and write right. them down, and then record it into the voice memo app or something. But it's so important that you need to get your ideas on paper because my pastor friend used to say, if you don't get it out and get it like solidly laid down and recorded then it's something that he feels like this that satan can just come along and steal from you huh. you know how, how many times have you thought about this and you didn't write it or you didn't record it right and then you can't remember it hmm. or it's like gone you know what i mean and that is like the worst because there's so much stuff that god gives you in the moment not that he can't give you again or give you something else but like it's important as a musician to have right. that so if you're a church that's like co-writing with people, like get your people in a room and write things down, record them, right. get snippets of it. Cause you have to go be able to go back and say, I like this. I don't like this. We can use this or totally. we can't, you know? Yeah. Um, so Phil also talked about, um, you know, doing these things in your churches. We want to write an album. Okay. We have this, the steps in there, we're ready to go. We have a producer. Um, and we're going to do this, some pre-recording or pre-production pre stuff. And um, 
you're like, do we do all of it live or do we do some of it live? Mm. And in my experience, like, especially with what Phil was talking about, what he said, like, I think it was a good thing that Phil said, you know, it, it's probably okay that you use a lot of elements that are pre-recorded to fill out and give yourself some like breathing room with the rehearsals. And right. so that's like, let's say you have one really great guitar player and then you have a guitar player that's like kind of eh, but he's growing or she's growing and you want to give them a little confidence, right? Like it's so much pressure for me to think about like a thousand member church or something. Right. And like they have a, a solid team, but like they're putting all the pressure on them for the live event. And I love the fact like little things he was talking about with the putting the elements of tracks back into it as you play over it live. Mm. Or like even like uh, if you have a recording, it's okay to do a song over again with the yeah, with totally. the congregation, you know, if you need to do it, you know. So like with Vertical Worship, we actually, we did two takes for the recording night and yep. we played the exact same song in the row. Right. And even before that, whenever the, the congregation comes, as a full band we also recorded that as well two yep. more times right just to keep it in the in your back pocket just yep. in case if you actually made a mistake and because usually like let's admit the moment in the moment at the night of worship you just want to have a good time right you want right. to you want to feed the congregation that's exactly music. what phil said you don't want to so, be thinking about like oh i hope that i hope that i know this part right, right. you know like right. you just want to be able to come in there and the, the looks on people's faces, their right. hands are raised, they're in total surrender and worship in that moment in their heart. That's what you want as a musician on the stage, right? Like you want to be right. in sync with that because you don't want to be thinking, because people can tell. Right. People can totally tell. Right. And I love how he said, like, I love how Phil said, it's okay to ask your church, hey, let's, do you yeah. mind if we do the song again? Totally. Yeah, I love that. People so, love that kind of stuff, like just kind of just being in the moment, like even like being in the moment and once the, the song is done, like uh we've we've had mistakes before with uh our band and yep. um you just kind of keep going you just kind of keep going yeah you have to do there's it, a you know? moment when if you if you really made a mad, bad mistake you would be surprised like the congregation actually kind of like lifts you up yeah and support well they appreciate the authenticity right. of it right like the, totally. they understand like this is genuine right like, we're just here to worship and um that's so good i think right. If you're wondering, like, this whole process, this podcast is just amazing, I think, to kind of just go through and see what his thoughts are about all the little things that you may not think about right. when you're doing this. Like, there's a lot that goes into it. So, um, you know, just kind of go back through the podcast and recap on those things and uh, find a producer that you really love and trust their work and, uh, you know, take it a step at a time, take it slow and get people around you that's going to really make this thing happen. Totally. And uh, we're excited for Phil and what he's going to continue to do. Uh, so thanks, Phil, for, yeah, thanks, for Phil. being on here and just, like, sharing your wisdom and knowledge with all this stuff. And uh, we got some great uh, podcasts coming up. So be sure to subscribe to us if you haven't already, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the Loop Community Podcast.